a $1.5 million fine dumped on a U.S. firm by Beijing, marking China's latest clampdown on Western businesses. A friendly gesture toward China. Washington removing 27 Chinese companies from its export blacklist. This as the U.S. Commerce Secretary prepares to visit China next week. A new move to beef up defense against China's nuclear missile threat. The U.S. and Japan hammering out the details for a major deal coming next year. Expected to become the biggest IPO of the year, a British tech firm reveals a revenue drop. Will slumped smartphone demand and a chunk of profit from China hit the company ahead of its public Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. A U.S. firm caught in the middle of U.S.-China tensions. Due diligence for Mints fined $1.5 million. It's the latest in a nationwide crackdown on foreign businesses in the name of national security. It's the same company that had its Beijing office closed by authorities in March, with five staff detained by police. In a statement dated July 14th, Beijing claimed that Mintz was engaged in foreign-related statistical investigation activities without obtaining approval and slapped on the fine. It gave no details on the nature of such investigations. As a due diligence firm, Mintz checks the backgrounds of new hires and gathers information for business partners. The company did not immediately respond to inquiries, but has previously said its operations in China are transparent and legal. Mintz has 60 days to file an appeal and six months to file an administrative suit. As Washington ramps up sanctions against Chinese industries, Mintz is just one example of a series of U.S. companies targeted in Beijing's counter-espionage campaign. From April through May, Chinese police raided two other U.S. consultancies, Capvision and Bain & Company. Last month, the regime broadened its anti-espionage laws around information sharing. The move has alarmed foreign investors. They're saying the crackdown damages investor confidence in the world's second largest economy. Washington sending out a friendly gesture toward Beijing. The Commerce Department is removing 27 Chinese companies from the U.S. export controls list. This comes as Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo prepares to visit China next week by invitation from her Chinese counterpart. China praised the decision. The secretary's visit comes at a critical time. China's economy is in trouble, and some economists fear that the negative impact could eventually reach beyond China's borders. Consumer prices are falling, a real estate crisis is deepening, exports are slumping, and youth unemployment is hitting a record high. The Chinese yuan also fell to its lowest level in 16 years. A wide range of discussions will be on the agenda. Topics include challenges faced by U.S. businesses in China, the U.S.-China commercial relationship, and other areas for potential cooperation. U.S. officials are playing down expectations. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said the administration does not expect a big outcome out of the visit. A new joint force and an answer to China's hypersonic threat. The Pentagon said Washington is finalizing a deal with Japan, thus to develop a new missile able to intercept hypersonic weapons. Here are the details. Called GPI, the weapon would be designed to destroy hypersonic missiles mid-flight. Funding and timing are still in the works. That's according to Martin Miners, a Pentagon spokesperson. In 2021, news broke that Beijing tested a nuclear-capable hypersonic missile.
It set off alarm bells in Washington because Beijing could use it to strike the U.S. What's more, American defenses would struggle to detect or destroy it after it's launched. And it means you launch a nuclear weapon or any kind of weapon into space, into orbit, and it stays there, then you tell it to come in and destroy something. And it can come from any direction. So missile defense or preparations don't work against it. In fact, there's almost no warning time. This is the uh, shock value. It's a shock weapon. U.S.-Japanese plans to co-develop the new weapon came last Friday after President Biden hosted leaders from Japan and South Korea. The press release did not name China. Instead, it described the weapon's development as a pressing need, slated to help address challenges in the Indo-Pacific region. The U.S. tapped several arms suppliers for the project. That includes Raytheon, Lockheed Martin, and Northrop Grumman. Raytheon previously said it would be impossible to decouple from China because it has several thousand suppliers in the country. A dip in smartphone sales hitting a company prime to become the largest IPO in two years. Arm Holdings designs microchips and other advanced computing tech. This week, it's reporting a 1% annual revenue drop, with sales falling to $2.6 billion in the 12 months ending in late March. Over half its total revenue last year came from smartphones and consumer electronics. The sales drop follows slumped demand for the devices this year with data showing the market is set to dive to a decade low this year. The British company noted the slowdown in paperwork for its upcoming initial public offering, expected to hit the market at 8 to $10 billion next month. But the comparatively minor revenue drop suggests Arm's business is still going strong in other areas, like cloud computing. The firm's chip designs are also used in laptops made by Apple and some Windows machines. Worth noting, Arm said 24% of its revenue came from China in its most recent fiscal year. But British and U.S. export controls, plus a downturn in the Chinese economy, will likely drop that figure. Its stock market launch is expected to boost the dragging IPO market. That's after many high-profile startups put off their listing plans due to market volatility. Arm hasn't revealed how many shares it's planning to sell or the valuation it would seek. China has changed, so Germany's strategy towards it needs to change, too. That's according to Germany's foreign minister. Increasingly, China is a rival when it comes to the very fundamentals of how we live together in this world. Since Russia's invasion of Ukraine, China's been tightening its friendship with Russia, while Germany has aligned with other Western countries working to stop the war. In the past, Germany relied heavily on Russian gas. After the invasion, Putin ordered the shut-off of gas taps to Europe. In Germany, in my country, we have learned, I must say painfully, how vulnerable our one-sided dependencies on Russia's energy imports made us. And we don't want to repeat that mistake again. Now, Germany's trade partnership with Beijing is also setting off alarms. For seven years in a row, China has been Germany's biggest trade partner. Despite pandemic-related declines, exchanges between the two still approached almost $320 billion last year.
de-risking has also become a theme in Washington's China approach. Echoing the German foreign minister's de-risking strategy, the country's economy minister is pushing a new law to reduce reliance on China and boost scrutiny of foreign investments. Where is Chinese leader Xi Jinping? Xi skipped a scheduled speech at a business forum in South Africa, sending his commerce minister Wang instead. The unusual absence is raising eyebrows. The latest report spotted Xi attending lunch with the South African president shortly before the forum. Made up of Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa, the organization is holding a three-day meeting in South Africa. Russian President Putin is joining via video link, given the arrest warrant placed on him over Russia's invasion of Ukraine. An official revealed that at least 40 countries have shown interest in joining BRICS, including Washington's biggest ally in the Middle East, the United Arab Emirates. Chinese leader Xi Jinping skipped his scheduled speech at the BRICS Business Forum on Tuesday, a prelude to the group's summit in South Africa. China's commerce minister stepped in to read Xi's speech. Let's take a closer look at BRICS and why it matters for the West. The group of emerging economies known as BRICS makes up more than 40% of the world's population and a quarter of the global economy. And more countries want to join the club, which aims to challenge a world order seen to be dominated by the U.S. and its Western allies. But what exactly is BRICS? Who wants in? And why? Underscoring the growth potential of Brazil, Russia, India and China, a chief economist at Goldman Sachs came up with the BRIC acronym in 2001. The group was founded as an informal club in 2009, its creation initiated by Russia. South Africa joined the following year. It's the smallest member in terms of economic clout and population. BRICS is not a formal multilateral organization like the UN or World Bank. Its leaders usually get together annually, with each nation rotating through a one-year chairmanship of the group. The bloc operates by consensus. Apart from geopolitics, the group's focus includes economic cooperation and increasing multilateral trade and development. And that's attracting others. This year's chair, South Africa, says over 40 countries have expressed interest in joining. Iran has said it hopes the club will pin down the new membership process as soon as possible. Oil heavyweight Saudi Arabia has the backing of Russia and Brazil. And Argentina says it has China support. One of Africa's fastest growing economies, Ethiopia, says it's asked to join. Bolivia appears interested too. In July, the country turned to the Chinese yuan, saying it wanted to curb dependence on the U.S. dollar for foreign trade. That move aligns with BRICS's stated aim. The same month, Algeria said it applied for membership and to become a shareholder in the so-called BRICS Bank, or New Development Bank. Still, current members are divided over expansion. China wants the group to get bigger as it tussles with the U.S. over trade and geopolitics. South Africa and Russia, which hopes to thaw its diplomatic isolation over the Ukraine war, are also keen to see the group grow. But Brazil is more skeptical, and India is undecided. An arms race down under. 
Canberra announced a new round of missile deals with the U.S. Monday, clocking in at a staggering $1 billion. The package includes 200 Tomahawk cruise missiles and 60 advanced anti-radiation guided missiles. The Tomahawk missiles boast a range of over 900 miles. After the deal, they'll be owned by three nations in total, Australia, the U.S. and Britain. Australian Defence Minister Richard Marles says the move is backed by the nation's latest defence review. It recommends that Australia adopt a strategy to keep enemies at bay. The purchase also follows a weekend interview with Australian Foreign Minister Penny Wong. She was asked if Australia and China were in an arms race and if China was making the world more dangerous. Wong declined to comment directly, but had this to say. The great powers. We know what is happening in our region. We've seen recently exercises in the Taiwan Strait. We've seen Wong added that Canberra had been upfront about the military buildup in the Indo-Pacific region. Coming up, Chinese leader Xi Jinping skipped his scheduled speech at a major business forum, leaving many asking if something's amiss. And a U.S. due diligence firm slapped with a $1.5 million fine. What's the business environment inside China like now? We hear from James Gorey, author, writer and blogger for more. His comments after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Chinese leader Xi Jinping skipping a scheduled speech. U.S. due diligence firm Mintz Group hit with a $1.5 million fine in China and a floundering real estate sector. What's the message coming out of China? We hear from James Gorey, author, writer and blogger for Insight. James Gorey, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. My pleasure, Tiffany. Chinese leader Xi Jinping is in South Africa. This is part of the BRICS summit or a challenge to the dollar potentially. How likely is that to challenge the dollar? Russia's Putin has said we this will you know accelerate the de-dollarization of the world, and uh, he's probably right. But I don't think it's going to happen today. Um, but it will happen because of you know the BRICS con comprises around forty percent of the world's economy. So. There's, there would be a, certainly a challenge at that point, but, but will it happen this week? Probably not. And zooming in on this summit, Xi Jinping did meet with the South African president, but he didn't give the main speech. Instead, the commerce minister did, which is prompting some China watchers to say, oh, something is amiss. What's your take on all of this? Well, that gets into speculation. Um, there's a reason why he didn't give the talk. Or maybe there's a reason why somebody else did. I mean, there's two ways to look at it, really. Um, I don't know what. It, yeah, something could be amiss. China is is having big problems right now, and uh, you know, it, it may just be that Xi doesn't want to expose himself to that and um, let his let his commerce rep, his commerce guy, take take the heat. It could be as simple as that, but I, I just I just don't know what his motivations are at this point. And James, zooming in on China's own economic woes, it seems right now a U.S. due diligence firm is in the headlines a lot. Mintz Group, it just got slapped with a $1.5 million fine. The company says they didn't do anything wrong. This is the same company that was raided and had five staff detained in March. So what message is Beijing sending here? Don't look at us, right? We, we have something to hide. That's the message. Um, 
Now, every company, every country has something to hide. Uh, but it wasn't just Mint. It was Bain and company as well. So it looks as if there's a, you know, they're couching it in national security terms, whether or not it's that or it might just be, you know, security or due diligence investigations on companies that, that uh, American companies may want to do business with or doing business with American companies already. And they want to see how legit they are, if, if, if their numbers are true. I mean, you know, Chinese companies have committed fraud before many times. So um, I don't think it's it's that big of a deal from Mintz's perspective, but I think it's a much bigger deal from the Chinese perspective. They have a lot to, to hide. And, and, you know, China is not big on, on releasing accurate statistics. And to your point, Beijing did expand its anti-espionage law last month, which now a lot of investors are saying regular business practices could be now criminal under this. What is the business environment like now in China? Well, it's a lot less friendly than it was a year or two years ago, maybe you know, prior, pre-COVID at least. Um, look, the more trouble China is economically, the more stringent its control is. And that that's across the board. It's not just with due diligence on companies. It's with it's state-owned enterprises. Um, you know, the more destabilization there is, the more economic problems there are, the more control the CCP wants to have and feels that it needs to have um, to control outcomes and to minimize uh, resistance or civil unrest or other other events that it, you know that could get out of its control. So it's all about control and, and controlling the narrative. And it seems this is, you know, just the latest in a whole string of issues. China's economy is in deflation recently. The youth unemployment was so high they stopped publishing the numbers. There's the real estate sector that seems to be floundering. There was defaults and mispayments. How do you read China's economy right now? I, I read the, the economy is in trouble, like anybody else would read it with, with any kind of you know, perspective. Uh, look, the, the real estate development sector is... You know, at 30% of the economy, and probably a bit more if you look at other uh, subsidiary aspects to it. Um, for years, decades, China has depended, basically had over-reliance on overdevelopment, right? Developing much more than they need or any economic cause for it because it provided emplo uh, employment for workers, which is a very big deal in China. It's a big deal everywhere, really. But it also, look, it allowed, it enriched party members through through huge loans, through the People's uh, Bank of China, uh, loans that really never got paid, just got rolled over and so forth. But a lot of people made a lot of money. And um, that money went up to the party, typically. So um, now that's, that's, that party's over. I mean, the, the party of overdevelopment and, and enrichment, it's over. They're seeing deflation. There's not enough consumer demand. The Europeans are cutting back on their demand, as we are, as the U.S. is. So there's there's less demand, less productivity. They never recovered from the lockdowns and COVID. So, you know, you put those together, and youth unemployment, by the way, is so high as you point out. They haven't re <laughs> released the statistics. Um, any statistics that you release are you know you take with a large grain of salt. Um, I've seen estimates as high as 46 to 50 percent youth unemployment. You know that's not sustainable. Um, so this you know. Over-reliance on overdevelopment uh, for non-profitable developments is not sustainable. 50% youth unemployment is not sustainable. Um, deflation, that's hard to, hard to, hard to, hard to, to remedy in the short term. So China's got some big problems. 
And James, adding on that too, as you touched on, exports out of China are down. It's now Mexico has surpassed China in terms of goods coming to the U.S. And it seems China is trying to still woo some of that foreign investment. And actually, our Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo is set to go there soon. So where do you see U.S.-China ties going from here? That's a good question. Um, Look, the, the, the momentum is for China to China U.S. ties to, to minimize, to, to getting becoming less. Um, the political momentum um, at, at the highest levels of our government, that's more of an unknown. We don't know how much of, you know, what kind of ties are, are we're, we're learning that there are more deeper ties to the to the administration to China than than not to, than not to be. So. It's very difficult to know how much influence and how much that affects the actual commerce situation. But overall, I'd say you know, the U.S. needs to decouple. Um, we're not in great shakes either economically. We have big problems as well. So um, the momentum, it's the logical momentum, the economic momentum rather, would be to, uh, to import less from China and, and, and you know, reshore and nearshore companies and try to build up our, our, our manufacturing base. But we'll see. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure, Tiffany. Thank you. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocusntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.